0: Hello, Big Bass fans, and welcome to the Big Bass Podcast. My name is Ken Duke.
1: And I'm Terry Battisti. And our producer, engineer, the guy that does all the work behind the scenes is Nathan Benson. The title of this episode is simply Orgs, and it's all about the organizations that keep fishing records.
0: Yeah, we're going to talk about the organizations that uh, keep international records, uh, that keep national records, even a lot of the state records here in the U S some of these organizations do a a pretty good job. we got to give them some credit, but some maybe not so much.
1: Yeah. And beyond that, we're going to go into some of the quirky rules that these organizations and states, and even sometimes lakes have with respect to how do you document a record fish? Uh, It's, it's going to be, Pretty interesting to see how you know many anglers have been screwed out of out of records for not doing something weird the right way. So that's what we're going to get and we into. We also
0: want to, yeah, we want to make sure that everybody watching and listening will be able to avoid some of these pitfalls because sometimes sometimes guys have lost records not because of anything they they did or through any real meaningful fault of their own, but because <laughs> the record keeping organizations got a little bit screwy on them. And, uh, you know, Terry, in in putting this show together uh, and thinking about the record-keeping organizations out there, uh, one of the first questions that, that sort of occurred to me was, well, just who the hell do they think they are, you know? <laughs> that they, they suddenly decide they are the anointed ones, they are the chosen one, uh, they're the one who are going to keep the records for all mankind and fish kind. And, and, and that sort of struck me. And what I learned was, there are no different, no better, no more authoritative, really, than you and I in the Big Bass Podcast.
1: No, I mean, there's a lot to it. I mean, you know, we'll have one example that we'll get into in a bit. Um, you know, it kind of fell in their lap, right? Um, I don't think that this organization or actually company – ever intended, but it just so happened that they had a ton of data, and they became the keepers just essentially by default, right? But That's exactly right. We'll get into that in just a moment.
0: As a matter of fact, leading up to that, one of the earliest references I can find to any organization calling something World Records of Fishing uh, was in this book. This is the 1926 edition of The World Almanac (laughs) and Book of Facts. 1926, Uh, and if you look on page 712, Terry, you will learn right down here at the bottom somewhere that Fritz Friebel of Florida has a world record for largemouth bass. That fish weighed 20 pounds, two ounces, and uh, it's the world record. Not because you or I or any duly elected group decided so, but because... The world record. <laughs> the, I'm sorry, the World Almanac and a Book of Facts decided it was so. Uh,
1: you never cease to amaze me. I mean, so how did you find that record in that book? I, I, to
0: be honest, I can't recall, but I, I found some. I was researching Fritz Friebel, who, of course, caught a 20 pound, two ounce largemouth bass in the Tampa area of Florida. Back in 1923. And I saw a reference to this book. Uh, all, it, all it said was that Freeble was mentioned in here. He was listed as having some sort of record in this book. So, by God, I've got to have it. And if it's a fishing text, if it's a fishing piece of memorabilia, it means two things. One, I really need to have it. And two, I've got to beat Terry Battisti out of it.
1: <laughs> yeah, so you paid, what, probably four bucks for that thing. And now, uh, when I go to buy it, it's going to cost 200 because you've mentioned it on the Big Bass podcast. And now that's increased the value of that thing. So thank you, Ken Duke, for, you know, screwing me again. Uh, the, the first <laughs> time that he did this was I was bidding on the first issue of the Lunkerhole Hole magazine from, I believe it was May of 1974. And it would literally started out the bid was like four bucks or something like that. And after the, if you're smart about eBay uh, you don't make your bids until the last five minutes of the, of the the auction. And in the last five minutes of the oxygen, uh, uh, oxygen, I lost the, I lost the, the bid and I ended up losing it at $70. And the first thing I did is I called Ken Duke and said, are you the uh, expletive that outbid me on the Lunker Hole magazine? And he said, yes. (laughs) So now we consult each other so we don't pay too much money for something.
0: (laughs) Whenever one of us loses a bid on eBay for some really cool but very obscure piece of bass memorabilia, we know who got it. We know who beat us out uh yeah. and, and there's usually a phone call And sometimes we say hey i didn't even know it was there i wish i had i would have bid on it but yeah, yeah. terry paid made me overpay for that particular magazine <laughs> by a factor of about 20. so uh thanks at right. the magazine and of course what is the first thing i do or what is the first thing terry does he calls me and says oh, you want it well oh, i can't believe you did that i can't believe you beat me out of that you bastard um what, what? Guilty? It, him. Or, would, guilt would, him. You, would you? Would you scan it for me?
1: Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. And he I scanned it and sent it, it to me. So
0: now, <laughs> now he's got the thing, and I paid seventy bucks for,
1: for it. <laughs> yeah.
0: Anyway, anyway, so the world almanac and book of facts shows up, and, and that's 1926, just about the earliest record I can find of somebody calling it a world record, a world's record. So it's kind of a just, big deal. How, how many records did they have in there? Was it? Ah, I mean, good question. Um, you know, not a lot. Not they don't even have a smallmouth. The only bass record they have is is a uh, largemouth. Uh, they've got probably looks like about twenty. They've got saltwater and freshwater. Trout. I'm sorry, this is fresh and salt because they've got tarpon in here. Yeah. Um, they've got musky in here. They've got. Bluefish in here, channel bass, so a lot of saltwater fish too. It's a very yeah. short list, uh, but that was that's what's available in
1: 1926.
0: All right, cool. And and of course, uh, you know, from that we uh, we de- we devolve into other people calling things records, and really we have a lot to owe to Field and Stream magazine, Terry. Because in about 1910, 1911, Field and Stream introduced their Big Fish contest, and it covered a multitude of species. But for our purposes, what we care about, of course, is it covered largemouth and smallmouth bass. And at some point, they divided um, largemouth bass into southern largemouth bass, which mainly meant Florida, and other largemouth bass, which is pretty much everywhere but Florida. Right. And it was really from those early Field and Stream issues that uh publications like the world almanac and book of facts pulled that information and decided hey whatever were the the biggest fish entered in those contests from 1910 to wherever we are now that's got to be the world record right and and so that's what they were called um but but you know those were those were kind of national records and uh and those came along early but let's let's start with the highest scope let's start with the, the broadest widest scope and that would be international fishing records mm-hmm. and the first organization i know of that started international fishing records which were exclusively saltwater, was of course the international game fish association or as we call it in shorthand igfa
1: yep
0: they started back in 1939 mm-hmm. and uh terry i want to get your take on this But I have
1: to
0: I have to grudgingly say they're probably the most respected, the most revered, maybe the most serious of all the record keeping organizations out there.
1: Yeah, I I, uh, there's no argument with that. Um, And there's another project that I'm working on uh, that was keeping records before them, Saltwater Wise, and and that was the, the Catalina Tuna Club. Um, right. And, and of course,
0: you know, that we talk about the Tuna Club, uh, Zane Gray yeah. started the Tuna Club back in the day in California, and it's still in existence. Well, he it's was one of the charter members.
1: Right, right. Zane Gray was one and, of the uh, charter members. Um, and,
0: uh, you know, the, the Tuna Club was part of the genesis of IGFA in 1939. So they, yeah. their tentacles, their roots go a long way in a lot of different directions.
1: Right. Yeah. So, but, but when it comes to the standards of which all anglers, you know, are held accountable with respect to record fish, the the IGFA is the pinnacle, Um, you know, they are the authority, you know, but but at the time it was, it was only saltwater, right? Right,
0: right. And for IGFA, it was only saltwater until 1978. We'll get to that in just a Mm -hmm. moment, but... Um, one of the issues with, with IGFA, at least in, in my mind is that IGFA, we can say they were all about saltwater from, from their inception in 1939 until 1978, but I think it's arguable that they're still really all about saltwater and they've never really put a lot of emphasis on their, their freshwater efforts. And I've gotten in some, uh, I've gotten in some hot water and, and, um, stirred the pot a little bit, maybe more than I should have with IGFA in that regard. But I've got my I've got my arguments, too.
1: Yeah, Um, I mean, you, 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 you look at. The people that have been awarded awards from IGFA and its magnitudes of order, more saltwater fishermen have received awards, and I'm not talking about records. I'm talking about awards Hall of Fame fishing, honors and things. Hall of like Fame that. honors and stuff like that. It's, it's 90%. It's easy. 90%, you know, saltwater people.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, it is. And, and, uh, whereas to get in, you know, there, there are organizations that honor bass fishermen. There's the Bass Fishing Hall of Fame where, where you have to either die or be oh uh, on the board of directors to get in. Uh, but don't get me started on that. Obviously that's, a uh, Thing, no. <laughs> but but my, 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 my gripe with IGFA is probably best exemplified by this book, which was their self-commissioned, self-published uh, history book, Big Game Fishing Headquarters, a history of the IGFA. Now, this book was published in 2005. And in the entire 232-page book, they mention one freshwater fish. One! <laughs> and they mention it on page 220. And they're talking about disqualifying the David Hayes smallmouth record and instituting another fish in its place. The irony is that later that very <laughs> same year, they would reinstate David Hayes because and of
1: how something that... How did that happen?
0: We're going to save that for another episode, too.
1: But TST okay. wants to
0: give up every episode of the Big Bass Podcast in one episode. TST wants to do like a 300-hour episode. I'm trying to keep these bite-sized. Uh,
1: anyway, But, yeah,
0: so there, there's just there's not a lot of regard or respect for freshwater fish in that publication, and I wish there was. But let's, let's wander back, if we will, for just a moment to Field and Stream, which yeah. really started the freshwater fishing records when they started their big fish contest in around 1910, 1911. They ran it until 1977. Um, they, uh, that's In 1978, they handed off their records to IGFA. So everything that Field and Stream maintained is now handled by IGFA.
1: Right. And, and that's what I was alluding to earlier in that, you know, here field and stream has this, you know, big fish contest. It's open to anybody that submits a fish, you know, they had some, I think in 1910, they had like 14 rules that you had to go by. Um, and of course that over the years, it, it, it expanded to certain things that you had to do to qualify your fish. Um, You know, obviously the the first few years you didn't have to submit a picture because it was harder than hell to get a picture taken in 1910. I I Um, believe
0: they did require a cave drawing, though.
1: Okay, (laughs) a petroglyph or something like that. Um, But, you know, here they are having this fish contest, and what evolved out of a, you know, probably a contest that would get them more people subscribing to the magazine – it would, which would in turn get them more ads uh, revenue for them. It, 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 kind of fell into their lap as them being the holder of all these records. So a
0: great point. This was a marketing play. This is yeah. absolutely a marketing play on their part. They thought, Hey, we're going to host a big fish pot uh, contest. We're going to draw in some new readers for that. We're going to draw in some new subscribers for that. We're going to pull in some advertisers and sponsors for that. It's just a Mm -hmm. good marketing play. And it was, and it worked for them for uh, almost 70 years before it became maybe uh, just a a little more burdensome than they needed it to be because of the world record element of it all. But uh, they first published a world record list in 1928. And uh, for what it's worth, they said that the world record largemouth bass as of 1928 was a fish caught by George J. Nichols, uh, just uh, a couple of years earlier, from the Tombigbee River in Alabama, <laughs> weighing twenty-four pounds. We're going to go into that fish later, but but don't worry about it. Although the fish did weigh twenty-four pounds, it was not a largemouth bass. They said that the world record smallmouth was nine pounds four ounces, caught by William Shoemaker out of Long Lake, Michigan. So the earliest publication we've got showing world record status for bass. Uh, is twenty four even far exceeding what we have now as a world record, ironically, and nine and a quarter, uh, which is far less than our current. And the
1: interesting thing is, I've actually fished Long Lake, and it's back in the mid eighties. It had some big smallmouth in it, so I mean, a nine four totally believable out of Long Lake.
0: So a twenty four out of the Tom Bigbee Waterway in me? Alabama, not so much.
1: Uh, no. <laughs> No, nope. but not going to go you know, there.
0: One of the reasons they were able to get a, a lot of big fish recognition in field and stream from 1910 through 1977 was this was a contest. There were prizes. If you were awarded big bass, big musky, big pike, big rainbow trout, whatever it might be, you were going to win prizes. And, and and so that was very attractive, especially in an era like the nineteen late nineteen twenties and nineteen thirties, when George Perry was entering and winning, uh, that was the Great Depression, and yeah. uh, what might have been a seventy five dollar prize then was well over a thousand dollars by today's
1: standards. Yeah, um, it was a big deal. I mean, you'd get a rod, you get a reel, tackle box filled with some head and lures or creek chub lures or whatever. I mean, it was it was a huge deal.
0: Absolutely, it was, and and. Anytime you have a contest, you got to, I hate to say it, but I, I think that um, I think you got to expect a certain amount of, of, of fraud like George J. Nichols with his 24 yeah. pound fish. Um, yep. And so that's, that's the drawback of having a contest, making it something where there's a financial reward for winning, irrespective of, of what the merits might show um, right. on a national level. So you've got got Field and Stream issuing world records on a national level. They're calling world records, but really they were just U.S. records. Uh, And then, of course, Field and Stream hands it off to IGFA in 1978. In the meantime, in 1974, you have an organization which at the time called themselves the National Freshwater Fishing Hall of Fame. Now they're known as the Freshwater Fishing Hall of Fame. They started keeping – Freshwater records beginning in 1974. And, uh, they were kind of in competition a bit with, uh, field and stream. Maybe they sensed that field and stream was, was waning that field and stream realized that, that, the that the toll the world records were taking on staffing and things like that were a little more than they wanted to deal with. And so they were going to be getting out of that business pretty soon. Uh, But the National Freshwater Fishing Hall of Fame comes along in 74. They start becoming a record keeper and they take a little snarky shot at uh, Fields and Stream. And it's still on their website today. Uh, They say prior to this date, prior to 1974, the only far reaching program was a national magazine's annual fishing contest. Because this was primarily a contest, the rules and qualifying system were not as stringent. As an increasing, uh, <laughs> sophisticated, and demanding sport fishing public needed. Enter the hall. I feel like I should yeah. put the <laughs> or the Latin phrase SIC, closed paren, to reflect the fact that their grammar ain't that good. But um,
1: Well, then not only that, they accept a fish in, what was it, 2005 that had forest written all over it. I mean
0: yeah in, in the late 80s they did it in the 90s they did it they've they've not done the greatest job of carrying the torch for record-keeping organizations and no. um they uh but, but they've they're still out there they're still publishing a um a, a record book every year as a matter of fact here is uh, one that, of their did. more recent did you pay issues for that? Well I'm a member I've been a member a long time and, and I I treasure my membership in uh, the freshwater fishing hall of fame because I do pay close attention to what they're doing in the record keeping world just as I pay my dues yeah. every year to IGFA because it's a big deal in my world I've got I, I've been go I've been a member for 20 plus years of both those organizations and and I would not dare let them lapse. I want to see what they're doing, even if sometimes I'm laughing at what they're doing. No. Um, in, in 93, the Freshwater Fishing Hall of Fame expanded their program to add catch and release records. Uh, unlike That's, Field and Stream.
1: What's that, Terry? IGFA, IGFA wasn't doing it at that time either. I mean, so you yep. got to give them credit for some forward thinking. You know, they're, Absolutely. they're, they're trying to try to support catch and release, you know, I mean, so I, I, my hat's off to them for that, for doing that.
0: And both those organizations have also started to recognize line class records, you know, two pound, four pounds, six pound line, and so on, because that gets, you know, every, the, the more awards you have, the more prizes you can give out, uh, the better it is, the more people stay interested in it, the more people see an opportunity to participate. So that becomes kind of a big deal. And they like to do it. Um, Whereas IGFA coming out of the saltwater world has always had a certain perspective on their rules and regulations. uh, The National Freshwater Fishing Hall of Fame has had a little different take on things. For example, uh, with the National Freshwater Fishing Hall of Fame, it's permissible for an angler to be assisted in landing the fish. Now they don't really spell out what that means, Terry, but let's, let's offer an example here. And and I think it falls within the parameters of what they would allow. If Terry Battisti hooks a fish and then hands the rod to me,
1: I'd never do that.
0: no matter how much I beg, by the way, um, (laughs) and I wind the fish in and and land the fish, um, that's okay, according to the Freshwater Fishing Hall of Fame. But they will only recognize one of us as the record holder. Um, Also, what I think is very interesting about the Freshwater Fishing Hall of Fame is they make no distinction between public and private water. You know, you can catch a world record in Lake Okeechobee or Sam Rayburn or Lake Erie, or you can catch a, a world record on a private lake.
1: What about a hatchery? Uh,
0: uh, they don't make a distinction about a hatchery. Yeah. IGFA's regulations are, I would say, a little more stringent. Uh, for example, uh, IGFA prohibits a, a world record coming from a private a club or hatchery waters or private ponds that are not accessible to the general public. Uh, anything um, where there's a fee or the public is allowed, that's going to be okay. And they also... Uh-oh. Say there's a, a case by case ma- basis. They're going to want to take a closer look if uh, a record comes out of kind of sketchy conditions like that.
1: Um, That's interesting IGFA. because I know, I know, I know someone in I believe Alabama that is trying to raise a world record copper nose bluegill. Sorry. right? I wonder if this person knows. Out of, out of a private pond, I wonder if this person knows that that fish would not be legal if caught. Yeah, they, they'd at
0: least have an uphill battle with IGFA, at least oh, an uphill okay. battle.
1: Yep. IGFA
0: has a rule against an angler being assisted during the catch. Um, IGFA, <laughs> if, if I'm fighting a fish and Terry reaches over and, and grabs the rod for just a moment, to give me a a break to reposition myself or something. No record. DQ immediately. Um, Freshwater Fishing Hall of Fame, that's still a potentially legitimate catch. Uh, Power-driven reels are not allowed in IGFA. So an electric reel, which are used by uh, a number of handicapped anglers. No good with IGFA. Apparently permissible with the Freshwater Fishing Hall of Fame. Uh, so there, there's differences in the rules, and um, and that's important because sometimes – and that's why some rules – that's why some records exist with one of the organizations but not the other. Uh, and, and then, Terry, you really open up the, the can of worms when you get down to the state
1: regulations <laughs>
0: because uh, – well. The bass is in this 49 is... states. And, in fact, a few years ago, a bass was actually caught in Alaska. So now a bass has been caught in all 50 states.
1: Wait a minute. When well, did that, that happen? Kind I, of a, did
0: that. A few I years mean... ago, a guy caught a really <clears throat> worn-out, rugged-looking bass in Alaska that weighed less than two pounds.
1: And, so, in other words, uh, he t- it was driven up the Alcan Highway, <laughs> right? I, I, I think you might be able to say that the
0: fish looked Maybe you could say that fish looked pretty good since it came from like Wisconsin or someplace, but or, anyway, it was caught <laughs> allegedly in, in Alaska, oh,
1: but you get down gosh. to the state
0: level and, and things can, things really get quirky.
1: Yeah. There's no doubt about that. I mean, it, it, I, I, I am happy to say that I came from a state that took it seriously. Um, you know they they had biologists that uh, would would literally within an hour or two would show up at the lake if you caught a fish that was a record. And, and I'm not just talking a state record fish; I'm talking a lake record fish. It was uh, yeah, hey,
0: folks. Terry's hey. from Hawthorne, California. <laughs> Grew up in California. Born in, ha- in, Born in
1: Hawthorne. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay born he's from in california
0: hawthorne. uh and he grew up in that in the in how the did you know i what... was
1: born in hawthorne Do you are you part of the omb breach of security uh, information
0: this is not just parking uh,
1: <laughs> uh oh, terry grew God. up in the
0: midst of that big bass boom that occurred in california beginning in the late 1960s and early 70s he, he worked in that community his first jobs while still in high school, were in uh, tackle shops that were were in the middle of all that. So I envy him that. Whereas I had to come from, you know, poor central Florida, which really was the origin of everything having to do with Big Bass. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but Terry, let's talk about some of the quirky state rules yeah, and regulations was... for getting a record done. And one of the things that really, really interests me, really fascinates me, really concerns me, about some of these records, even at the state level, are the states that that take into consideration whether or not they will recognize a fish that came out of totally
1: private water. Uh, you know, and I, I understand that. And in one hand, I agree with it, you know, because you can have someone that's you know, got a private water. They've stocked it. They've, they've done all the right things with respect to harvest in order to grow like, like Ray's Lake, right? You know, I mean, he. Legacy Lake down
0: in Pintlala, Alabama. Sure.
1: Ray, Ray was, I don't know that he was trying to raise a world record, but he wanted to catch 10 pounders. You know, I mean, he wanted to catch big fish and he hired the best biologist in the South to run it for him. But What if you've got a club that has a lake, like there's a lake out in Southern California called Oso Reservoir. And it used to be, you had to pay a membership to go there. And if you had the membership, then you got to fish. Uh, You know, if that lake produced a world record in California, it would, it would probably hold, but with IGFA, it wouldn't, you know, and, you know, they weren't doing anything special. They just had a eighty acre lake that was that they managed well. I, so, I, in that sense, I don't agree with it.
0: You know, this is one of those areas where I think hunting uh, has it all over us in the fishing world. I haven't been a, a serious hunter in a long time, but uh, in the world of, of hunting with firearms and hunting with bows. There mm-hmm. are organizations like Boone and Crockett. There are organizations Pope like Young. Pope and Young that have concepts of fair... They call it fair chase. Mm-hmm. And and those fair chase rules resonate with me. And it, it covers stuff like living inside a high fence. If an animal is shot inside a high fence, it can't be given uh, Boone and Crockett or Pope and Young honors. Mm-hmm. If uh, uh, an animal is pursued by a drone or something like that, it can't be considered for Pope and Young or Boon and Crocodoners. I, I wish that I wish that the fishing organizations, whether it be state, regional, national, or international, would all consider that because I think that that, that that's important. There are companies, there are people who are trying to grow record fish in private water. And I have concerns um, or issues with whether or not those should be given record status,
1: and I agree with that. I, I agree with that. But to have a a two or a three hundred acre or even a thousand acre lake that is owned by a club and they're not doing anything special, um, but a big fish or a record fish comes out of it, in that case, uh, I think they should be considered. So. I mean, if, if you can document that you're not doing anything special, i.e., putting special hybrid fish in, or yada yada yada, that that, that should be a no in my eyes. And that's really interesting that you
0: mention those kind of parameters, because in uh, because I am uh, a geek about big fish and, and stuff like that, as as is Dr. Battisti. Uh, I dug into that recently, Terry, and, and let's go through some of the quirky state regulations because they yeah. tell an interesting story. And it's kinda, before uh, we dig think... into the specifics of each of some of the states, we're not gonna cover all of them, but there are certain usual regulations that states and even the IGFA and the Freshwater Fishing Hall of Fame adhere to. And those are things like you gotta, you gotta weigh the fish on certified scales. You gotta have witnesses. Uh, you might need a state biologist to come out there and, and certify that it's the proper species. Um, you got to take photographs of the fish. You got to take measurements of the fish. Uh, the fish has got to be caught in a sporting manner. Um, stuff like that. Those are really standard. Those are very ordinary. We're not concerned about those because you better anticipate those if you're, if you're hoping and dreaming and planning to catch a record class fish. But, but let's cover some of the quirky stuff. And let's also dig into the um, <laughs> private water yes, private water no question. And, and let's do them alphabetically, Terry. Uh, All right. I'll, I'll kick it off with Alabama. And the, the one thing I want to say about Alabama, which is the only distinctive thing they have to say about their, their regs <laughs> and records, is that they will allow a fish
1: out of private water. I wonder how Ray got that changed. i guarantee you ray scott had a lot to do with that record with that
0: you know i never i never thought about it from that angle but ray would be exactly the guy exactly the guy to pull the strings and make sure that legacy lake could have a a state record exactly Uh, very impressive Uh, as soon as we go next in the alphabet um, Arizona. We're not going to do Alaska because we're not worried about bass in Alaska. But next in the alphabet, yeah. except for Alaska, would be Arizona. Private water? No, they yep. don't allow. They would not allow a record catch from private water. And and uh, well, there's and, no water
1: in Arizona to begin with. You know. Okay, I but mean. you know what?
0: There is there is water in Arkansas, and they yes. also say no hatcheries or pay lakes. They say private waters, and this is a quote. Will be considered.
1: Yeah. And that gets to my point. That gets to the point that I was making earlier. I think that's a good, a good rule.
0: And your point was that, are they doing something to try to manipulate the fishery? Absolutely. That's a very fuzzy line. Dr. Battisti, you know that from a a lawyer. Yes. It's a
1: fuzzy line, you know? So it becomes a battle of, of the lawyers in court. Maybe it's another so. way for Maybe you so. to make money, Ken. I, you guys get into Terry's everything. alluding I to mean. my
0: former, my former <laughs> life as an attorney. Um, <laughs> so that, that was a long time ago. Uh, now, this one is right in your wheelhouse. Um, if anyone saw our episode on H.W. Ross and his 23-pound, 8-ounce fish from 1884, you saw our conversation about Terry's equation for calculating the weight of a bass. Based on length and girth measurements. California, which is where Terry was born and where Terry grew up, uh, has a provision in their state record regulations that says length and girth may be used to validate the weight of a fish.
1: Yeah, and I honestly have not kept up with Cal DFG. And I don't know how long... The, Cal DFG
0: being the Department of Fish and Game.
1: Yeah. Um, I don't know how long that rule has been in the books. And I'm not, you know, I mean, I, I did that uh, that formula or that model to discount Leah True's record that we're, you know, going to get into at some point. Um and it validated that Shrew's fish was not a 22-and-a-half-pound fish. So I don't, I don't want to beat my own drum, but maybe California is using my weight estimation formula. I don't know. I hope they are. Because I mean, I, if Well, but they can't because they can't use the standard IGFA. Model. They can't use the, the standard 800 model. They can't use the 1300 model. They can't use the 1100 or the 1200 model because they are way out of whack when it comes to predicting the weight within even five or six pounds in some cases. So what model are they going to use to validate based upon measurement? I don't know. And so I'm I'm going to dig into that. Maybe we'll do a well, show the on that.
0: Only state, they're the only state that that says in writing that they consider length and girth measurements uh, as a way to validate fish weight. So I think that's very interesting. They're the lone wolf on that standard.
1: Yeah. I, I need to dig into that because it's uh that's an outlier.
0: <laughs> Next alphabetically, Colorado says public or private is just fine. Um, Georgia, Georgia, let's, let's dig down into Georgia for just a moment here. The, the state that has the current world record, or at least half of the world record with George Perry's 1932 fish weighing 22 pounds, four ounces. The other half of the record belonging to Japan's Lake Biwa and Manabu Kurita's 20, 22 pound, five ounce fish from 2009. Uh, Georgia says the fish must be hooked and landed by the entrant and the Georgia has a quirky variation on this public or private thing. Their way of phrasing it is to say that fish that are caught from private waters which adults of the species are stocked are not eligible. So what as soon as you stock an adult mean? largemouth bass in a body of water that that makes that body of water ineligible to produce a state record fish.
1: It doesn't make sense.
0: <laughs> Welcome to Georgia
1: welcome to georgia oh, go weird. dogs yeah <laughs> oh, you roll oh, there um,
0: you know uh, uh, here's a, just a funny one just one i got a kick out of terry indiana uh like most states you know they require witnesses they require certified scales they require all this stuff but then they say um for state record fish entries Applicants may wish to consider hiring a photographer. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Who's going to know exactly how to make that fish look bigger in a picture.
0: Exactly. exactly. I, I, I have no reason for highlighting that particular state here, except that I thought it was interesting. They're, they're recommending that you hire a photographer. So apparently the photography lobbyists uh, run strong in the state of Indiana. Yep. Now, here's a weird one that you and I can appreciate as, as guys who write a lot about bass fishing and so forth. Louisiana, the Louisiana Outdoor Writers Association, uh, officially handles the state records. And they've done so since the 1940s, okay? Um, they charge a $25 application fee and a $2 <laughs> service fee. Good news is they accept PayPal uh, because they, they use this as a fundraiser for the Louisiana Outdoor Writers Association, which I think is kind of funny. But they've been doing and it since the 40s, and, and we're going to get to another state that also lets the Outdoor Writers Association handle uh, records, uh, and that would be Ohio.
1: So what uh, happens if you slip them 500 bucks?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to touch that question, Terry battisti right. I'm not going to touch right, that you know. question.
1: Amazing, like you're not touching something that's controversial.
0: <laughs> yeah, usually I dive right in. I exactly. do. I dive right in. I, I like both that. feet. Uh, yeah, exactly. If I can get, it, how can I get in more trouble? Uh, Maryland, <laughs> another state that does not allow catch from private waters, um, but Massachusetts, Terry. Massachusetts is really really squirrely. <laughs> I mean, in the extreme, I've never seen such squirrely regs as are offered in Massachusetts. And maybe they can afford to do it because their state record large is 15 and a half. And they know nobody's ever going to touch that. But yep. in, uh, in Massachusetts because of COVID and because their mass wildlife offices have been closed due to COVID. If you, if you catch a potential record fish there, you have to, um, present it to a guy named Steven Maddox. And um, (laughs) one guy, there's one guy in the entire state who can certify your fish. His name is Steven Maddox, M-A-T-T-O-C-K-S. If you're tracking him down, I can get his email number for you, his email address for you if you need it. Uh, But the other thing you need to note is that if you've caught a a state record or potential state record, uh, and you're going to get it to Steven Maddox, that fish needs to be dead kill that fish immediately, <laughs> kill it, drive an ice pick through its brain because it is illegal to transport live fish in Massachusetts. Note to the wise.
1: Wow. I wonder if the Massachusetts Bass Federation knows about this. I mean, it that, that is the quackiest law or regulation I've ever heard in my life. Isn't that a squirrely one? That's, uh, that's Wouldn't they want to keep fish that size alive so that could be released? I mean, come on, Massachusetts.
0: Walter Balonis, where are you when we need you?
1: <laughs> Goodness All right. gracious.
0: Uh, back to that public water, private water distinction. Uh, Michigan says private water. No record. Minnesota says private water. No record. Uh, and they're another one of those states that says uh, you can get a little help in uh, landing <laughs> your fish, but only if, if it comes to netting or gaffing. I've never heard of a, a bass ever being gaffed, but just in case. That's Minnesota. Okay.
1: They're talking about big muskie and big pike. So, you there know. You <clears throat>
0: um, Missouri well, we wouldn't worry about that. Missouri's not that 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 different. Montana, let's go to Montana for a second, Terry, because <laughs> Mont- in Montana, uh, you can ha- they'll, they'll acknowledge the knowledge record from private property if public access is allowed. So, if you have a, a lake or pond uh, and it's on your property, but you allow public access. Uh, then potentially it could produce a state record. (laughs) Now, what is allowing public access? Does it mean that everybody who wants to fish has to be let in? Or does it mean you can let just just your buddy Ken onto the property to catch that state record?
1: Yeah, I I lived in Idaho for 20 years, right next to Montana. I fly-fished Montana. I got my butt in trouble many times in Montana when I thought I was on BLM land, and evidently I wasn't because... The truck showed up and escorted us off. Generally, there was a sidearm on the person that was uh, <laughs> escorting us off. I'm not. I'm not kidding you. It happened at least three times. Um, yeah, <laughs> and you're fly fishing a river that is supposedly supposedly navigable, and therefore. Water rights, right? I mean, you, you own the property, but you don't own the the, the water. Uh, but if you're waiting, you're on their property, and I learned that the hard way. That's
0: squirrely. As a
1: as <laughs> if a, I was in a float if I was in a float tube if I was in a float tube or a or a, a canoe, I would be legal. But because my feet were on the ground, it was considered illegal. Yeah, I got my. Yeah, but hot water, folks, uh,
0: check your state regs. I, I think it's one of the lessons of this show is <clears throat> check your state regs because your mileage may vary depending on where you live.
1: Yep. Uh, in uh, New
0: Mexico, uh, waters that are open to the public without charge or fee, they can produce a state record. New York, here's where we go back to a point you were making earlier, Terry, about a club that maybe had some private water but wasn't really doing anything. To feed or supplement those fish and make them bigger, in New York, if the fish are being fed or otherwise grown with the intention of breaking a
1: state record,
0: disqualified. That's in New York,
1: and that's probably the only thing I. Well, I can't say it about upstate. You know, upstate New York is you know beautiful, and and I think they cherish, but. Most of everything that comes out of New York comes out of Manhattan and Long Island. So I, <laughs> yeah, I actually it's agree. It's an interesting
0: rule. There, there's no other state that has a rule quite like that in North Dakota. And, and, and Terry, you, you and I got a kick out of this. We were talking about the show before we started um, to get a state record. You have to submit a Whopper card application first. I assume you can get those at Burger King.
1: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. <laughs> hey, Wally Wanna Whopper, I mean, holy yeah. mackerel.
0: <laughs> very, very weird, very weird. <clears throat> uh, okay, now, yeah. we talked a little bit earlier about Louisiana, where the Louisiana Outdoor Writers Association uh, handles and curates and archives their state records. In Ohio, the Outdoor Writers of Ohio. Uh, handles those state records, and they claim to be the only writers' organization that maintains the state's official angling records. Well, well, they need to talk to Louisiana, Louisiana.
1: exactly. Yeah. But, but, oh god, exactly. His name, his name escapes me. the The famous bass writer out of Ohio, Mark Hicks. Hicks, yes. I bet. I, I wonder if Hicks has anything to do with this.
0: I don't know. You know, I, Mark Hicks is one of the great out great bass writers of of. Eternity. all time yeah all time and uh yeah we need to check with mark on that but this is a squirrely little rag uh and a and a, and a, and a questionable claim Because and, and the uh, reason is this... the,
1: i guarantee you the reason is is because he wants the story
0: <laughs> <laughs> no he wants he wants the cover photo terry he wants exactly. the cover photo story yeah. be damned he wants to cover for them. <laughs> oh. But uh, whereas Ohio claims to be the only outdoor writer writer organization that maintains state angling records. Then you got Louisiana claiming that Louisiana Outdoor Writers Association has been doing it since night since nineteen forty.
1: So I it's, said a, it's, a, I, it's a grudge match. It's a celebrity celebrity death, death match. match. Celebrity death match. <laughs>
0: Um, And by the Uh, way, the Ohio uh, Record Fish Committee is made up of five volunteers and pay lakes are ineligible. Uh, But otherwise, private waters would be okay there.
1: Um, All right. So let me ask you this. Mm -hmm. Let me ask you Uh this. Every single lake in California, at least Southern California, requires you to pay a fee to launch your boat is that ah, a ah, Is that a pay like it's ah, it, well the last time i went to castake it was 35 bucks for launch my boat 35 yeah oh yeah well, you could you could get a year pass for like 450 bucks which i mean you did because you, you'd pay it off you know quick If you 15
0: trips yeah well yeah. uh First of all, we'll never have to cross that bridge, Terry Batista, No, <laughs> because, because that is uh, not a concern in Ohio. But, or, any, uh,
1: or any other state, pretty much, for that matter. Or
0: any other place in America. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, wow. I, I, I fish in Florida. I launched my boat in Florida. Uh, the usual launch fee in Florida is this much. Mm-hmm. And uh, welcome to America.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, Oregon. Let's
0: talk Oregon for just a second because where you can't pump your own gas. uh, That's New Jersey too, by the way. Oh my God. Very, very weird. You can't pump your own (laughs) gas. Uh, In Oregon, uh, it's not like Louisiana or Ohio where you got to go through the Outdoor Riders Association. In Oregon, you have to go through the Oregon Bass and Panfish Club.
1: Which is the second oldest club in the United States, second to the Western Bass Fishing Club. In Seattle? West, Yeah, Western Bass Fishing Club started in 1938, and the Oregon Bass and Panfish Club started in the 40s.
0: Every time I, which is very rare for me to get out that far west, but in that Seattle area, I, I always check to see if I'm going to be close to a, a Western Bass Club meeting, because I would love to attend. Absolutely yeah, I, would love to attend.
1: Yeah. Have you ever been to one of their meetings? I have not been to one of their meetings. Um, and I actually lived out there when I first, well, I lived in Idaho. But yeah, it would be, uh, that would be a cool thing to, to do. And, and, you know, one of the guys that started, well, he didn't start it, but he was one of the early members, Dick Streeter, who's well known for, you know, he, he's one of the charter members of the NFLCC. Uh,
0: yeah, one of the absolute experts in the world of antique tackle.
1: Uh, um, yeah, hedden i mean when it comes to hedden lures it was uh shoot clyde harbin right uh yes lived in lived in arkansas if i'm not mistaken uh but but harbin was uh, the other one that that started the nflcc mr bass or but the the bassmen. NFLCC,
0: of course, is the National Fishing Lure Collectors Collectors Club. Yep. And uh, uh, if you ever have a chance to go to one of their meetings, whether it's national or regional, I hope you'll take a chance to do that because it's uh, well worth your time. You're going to learn more about the history of the sport than you ever imagined. You're going to get a greater appreciation of the developments in the sport through the decades than you will anywhere else. It's a phenomenal experience. Yeah. Uh, Pennsylvania says private waters. No dice. No. Nope. Can't be a record for private waters. Uh, South Carolina, Terry, has an interesting rag. They say the tackle must be standard and available commercially.
1: <laughs> so does that mean a custom rod is takes you out of it?
0: By letter of the rule, I say a custom rod, no record. But I don't think that's yeah. probably what they intended to do. I bet you they would make an exception there and say, well, you know, the blank was available commercially and the guides were commercially available and blah, 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 blah. I bet you they'd fast talk their way around that real fast. But what about a, 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 uh, what about a homemade bait? Is is that, you know, available commercially? I don't know. That's a, that's a good question. South Carolina, get on those rules. Come on, come on, get in line.
1: Tighten them up. Uh, Let's not Texas. give any lawyers any more money than they than they deserve.
0: <laughs> exactly. Texas has a rule <laughs> that that has me thinking well into the future of record chasing. Texas has I. a rule e. that says Well, Texas has a rule that says the fish must not have contained anything, including electronics or other tagging devices, to assist in locating the fish.
1: Or divers <laughs> weights? What? <Well, laughs> That's, wait, hold it. That's the Sandy DeFresco show.
0: When you folks see a show titled DeFresco, jump on that. It has nothing to, with, with food, no, nothing
1: to do with food, culinary experiences.
0: Not at all. But, uh, no, you know, this thing about electronics or, or tagging devices, uh, you know, we've already seen a few eBay entries, not many, but just a couple where where what you're bidding on is what someone says is a chance at a world record largemouth bass. I remember one time out not, uh, of South Carolina or Georgia a few years ago saying that this guy had seen a world record largemouth bass. Now, color me beyond skeptical. Beyond skeptical. And I called these people. I caught these people. I, I I engaged with them through email and so forth, and and they're absolutely full of it. But think about it. That's the next step. That's the next step, not only in Boone and Crockett and Pope and Young, but also in bass fishing. Somebody who thinks they've got a world record or a world-class fish, and they've got a tracking device in it.
1: How did they get it there?
0: They caught it when it was 18 pounds.
1: And so what?
0: Let's imagine for a moment that, that... that somebody put a tracking device in Dottie when Dottie was 19 and change. Okay. What would it be worth to somebody with almost unlimited funds to go and chase that fish two, three years later when it's almost certainly record class?
1: Yeah. No, that's, you got a point. I mean, you, you you could could trap a deer or an antelope or an elk. I think it's even
0: more problematic in the world of deer hunting where trail cameras can show you where that animal was just days earlier and give you a good idea of how big the rack on that animal was in a bass problematic. Um, You know, maybe somebody caught a bass where it was 18 pounds, two years later, you don't know if that bass has declined or increased in weight because you don't know where that bass was age wise and so forth. Right. But uh, this is my concern about where some of these records are going to go um, is that eBay is going to take them over.
1: Uh, but, <laughs> but that
0: Texas assist record is, is interesting. Utah yeah. says private waters? No.
1: Nope. Uh,
0: Vermont, Vermont probably doesn't have a world of fresh waters to fish and exploit the state records in. But they have a quirky, quirky rule. And I'll quote it here. The body of water where the fish was caught must be listed. I have no (laughs) idea what that means.
1: What? Yeah, what does that mean? I mean, I would hope, I mean, that that rule probably came from the 40s, you know, back when they had named bodies of water or something like that is the only thing I could think of.
0: Yeah. I'm guessing by "listed" they probably mean it's public, but I don't know that. I'm just guessing. Virginia says um, no to public waters. Wyoming says no to public waters, and that kind of takes us to
1: to some of the no, well, no, no. Why you had that wrong? Wyoming says no to private waters. I'm sorry.
0: Note of private waters. Yeah, I should say private waters.
1: Public waters, you can't have a record.
0: (laughs) That would be bad, wouldn't it? That would be terrible. Yeah, because there'd be no no records. No no records. Um, (laughs) And and now let's uh, let's 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 get back to uh, some of the big record keeping organizations out there, Um, and that's um, let's talk about IGFA because usually when people talking about talk about having a world record. They're talking about being recognized by IGFA, the International Game Fish Association. And uh, IGFA's got a few little quirky records that can definitely trip people up. And and one of them has to do with what they call eligible waters, Terry. They say any world fresh water except private club or fish hatchery waters or private ponds Not accessible for angling by the general public. Anything else is going to be fine. So it's got to be public water. Fee waters and ponds for angling by permit to the public are allowed. So if you can pay to get in. It's weird. They say fee waters are okay, but they say club waters are not okay. That seems like a distinction without a difference to me.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Ironically, the last word in this eligible waters provision of their rules is "inquire." What? Inquire. That means they're going to decide on a case by case basis, but they don't want to say that. It's going to be a Here case you get the by lawyers case involved in it
1: again. It's yeah, legalese BS.
0: Uh, hey as a recovering attorney myself I agree with you Um, IGFA rules and this is pretty standard you need to anybody seeking a record out there needs to be aware of this Uh, IGFA rules say more than one person involved in subduing the fish will disqualify the catch except for helping netting gaffing beaching stuff like that so letting somebody else handle the rod for a moment is is probably going to be a no go Again, they don't allow you to use a powerized reel, no electric reels, which are, are common devices for the handicapped and so forth. Um, but that's about it on the the quirky regs thing that people need to be aware of out there. yeah
1: but but and we've talked about this in the past. they also have a rule regarding the number of hooks.
0: They do and they've lightened they've softened that rule a bit. in in recent years, I believe there used to be a rule against three treble hooks on a a single
1: lure. Uh, They have softened that. All right, so let let me pose this question. Back in the late 90s and the early 2000s, I was fishing a lot with Jerry Rago.
0: Jerry Rago, one of the great uh, designers, famed for the Rago rat and so forth. Also has worked for the a number ge- of different companies through the years.
1: Yeah. Well, Genius uh, in, in lure design. The, uh, the generic trout is the bait that put him on the map. Of course, all the big fish that he was catching back in the late 90s and, and early 2000s, all even through two th- the 2010s. And we were trolling what we called the spreader rig which essentially is an Alabama rig ah. and yeah. And, 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 so, and there's no doubt in my mind that, that Jerry was going for a world record and we would take uh, these large umbrella rigs, ocean umbrella rigs that had uh, it was a, it was a cross big weight in the center, usually two and a half ounces, big cross with stainless steel wire that was three-sixteenths of an inch in diameter. I don't know what gauge it was. And we would cut two opposing arms off, so we just had a straight bar. spreader. That's why we called it a spreader rig. And we would put two generic trout on it, which had only two treble hooks apiece on them. But is that whole contraption considered one lure, which would then take it above three treble hooks. It would be four treble hooks. And so if if he was to catch the world record back then and had to divulge what he caught the fish on, would IGFA accept it? Probably not
0: that's a good question because I never
1: thought, I never thought of this until just now.
0: uh, First of all, um, there are all kinds of hook rules at IGFA. Yeah. And um, dangling or swinging hooks are prohibited. Yep. Um, And, and it's without trying to go into it very deeply here, um you need to just need to search the igfa regs with regard hook with regard to hooks because um that's probably their most extensive area that's probably where they 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 dive in with the greatest detail because that's where they have the most concern
1: (laughs) but it it, it mainly has to do with marlin fishing spill fish right right yeah again they're
0: they're not that concerned with freshwater fishing yeah, uh, because they they consider most freshwater fishing to be done with single, uh, single hooks and and double treble hooks, maybe three treble hooks. But,
1: yeah. So, what uh, if someone catches a, a a world record on an Edo Vision One Hundred and Ten, it's got three trebles on it. So, is that that's legal now?
0: That's oh, so it now. is legal
1: now. Okay, okay, All right.
0: It is legal now. I, 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 the way I read the regs, Terry, that that fish would be legal now. All but right. yeah. For something like an Alabama rig, well, first, you need to search your your state regs with an Alabama rig and make Absolutely. sure you're not above the hook regs there. Yep. Uh, but second, you need to take a look at the IGFA regs because uh, they get very specific, very detailed. I don't want to yep. go into those too much only because I don't want to mislead anybody in our audience and let them think that it might be okay when, in fact, IGFA is going to make a different interpretation on their own regs.
1: Yeah, and, and I mean the only thing that we can tell people listening to us right now is to get on IGFA, download the regulations, and and know them by heart. That's the only thing we can do. I mean, it, you have to be able to read them and interpret them. If you're gonna, if, if you think you're gonna catch a record on a jig,
0: or you're a guy who doesn't fish an Alabama rig or doesn't fish a, a, a rig with multiple multiple hooks on it, you probably yeah, don't, don't have anything to worry about. No. Probably don't have anything to worry about at all, Uh, but if you're a guy who's going to be fishing something that's uh, out of the norm, or that might have more than three treble hooks on it, or that might have more than two single hooks on it, then
1: what about what about a guy that's what about a guy that's using braid and putting a top shot, a mono or fluorocarbon on it? I mean, I think you're going to be okay there. But they're going to go to the braid as the heaviest breaking strength, not possibly well, not the leader. I don't. I don't know. I mean, that's
0: true. But unless you're concerned about a line class record, I wouldn't worry about that. And uh, I'm going to I'm going to show my colors here and say if you're going after a line class record, uh, who cares? But oh, uh,
1: <laughs> kind of an all tackle go guy big or go either. home is Ken's motto.
0: <laughs> let's go all tackle or let's go home.
1: <laughs> um, but if
0: you're interested in a line class record, obviously you need to take a look at that sort of thing too, the length of your leader and so forth. Right. But if you're interested in all tackle, I think you'd be okay with most of that stuff. Because uh, so, I looked at that just today.
1: So what about the last quirky IGFA record? Or required?
0: Ah. And that's a great one. That's a great one. The bounties. My friends at uh, Hale Lures, uh, Stanley Jigs, they put out a promotion a few years ago, just a couple of years ago, uh, putting a bounty on the world record largemouth bass, saying that if it was caught on a Stanley Jig or a a Hale Lure, uh, they would pay off X thousand dollars. And uh, they quickly got a note from IGFA saying that any fish caught in pursuit of a bounty would not be eligible for IGFA record status, which I thought was really interesting because in looking over their regs, I didn't see that provision. I didn't see that. Interesting. Uh, now it may be there, or it may be part of their, their very loose sportsmanship clause, but that's very interesting because a lot of the, there've been a number of bounties, On world record bass through the years, and we're going to do a show on that uh, at some point. But that would be an interesting catch twenty-two. Yeah, you know, an interesting catch twenty-two, Terry, because you know, to break the world record, you have to receive acknowledgement and authorization from IGFA. But if they're not going to give it because there's a bounty behind it, then entering the contest to win the bounty means you're prohibited from winning the bounty.
1: Which means the million-dollar fish is a farce.
0: Well, I wouldn't say that because I think the fish is worth a million dollars, irrespective of the bounties, because of its value to the marketplace and the media. I think that if you or I caught the fish, we would be able to parlay it into seven figures.
1: So... If the contest is, what you're saying is that if the contest is up or not up, but, you know, provided prior to you catching the fish and you catch it and you accept the prize, you're DQ'd from IGFA record. But if you catch the fish and after the fact, turn it into a marketing deal that gives you hundreds of thousands of dollars, let's say, that's okay? Is that how you read it? Well, well, you haven't you even read might, it because it's not in their book,
0: <laughs> right? Uh, first of all, that's right. You're right. Uh, second of all, I would say that if I catch a, first of all, if I catch, let's throw it out there, a 23 pound largemouth bass, never that clearly exceeds Karita uh, and Perry, and clearly would be recognized by IGFA under other circumstances. Then whether or not I accept, whether or not I accept a bounty that fish is going to be regarded by the bass fishing community as a new world record. I think right. IGFA would would fail to recognize that fish at its peril. They would be in a world of oh, trouble yeah. by not recognizing that fish. They would be I disregarded. Mean, they would be discredited. They would be in disrepute by not recognizing that fish.
1: Yeah. And, and I think the same could be said about the Corita fish is that, Everybody with half a brain cell recognizes the Carita fish is the world record. They don't see Carita. But continues
0: to tease future episodes, folks. Watch <laughs> out for what Terry says. We're going to take a deep dive on these other shows. Don't let him distract you.
1: <laughs>
0: Sorry. Yeah. The Carita fish. Yeah. I think that should be the record too, but I, well, we'll not go into that now. But, no. yeah, I think that 22-4 uh, is the magic number. Whether we like it or not, whether we personally recognize it or not, 22-4 no, no, is no. the magic number. 22, That's the 22, number
1: you have to beat. 22-5.5 is 22-5.6 is the magic number. Because it's going to be 2.5 ounces bigger than the current world record if the world record is under 25 pounds. That is what the actual – stipulations are from IGFA. You got it. I was right thinking there.
0: you had to beat it by four ounces, but, um, it's two and a half ounces. We won't even worry about that. Uh, <laughs> I think that the bottom line is that if, if I go out and catch 23 pound bass, that's the world, right? There's, that's yeah. what the bass fishing community is going to care about.
1: I'm so sorry, Mac.
0: That is what the bass fishing, <laughs> that is what the big bass <laughs> podcast is going to care. It's about. all about. Yep. And it's all about the Big Bass Podcast. By the way, folks, we are the official podcast of Big Bass. And you know what, Terry? I think that is a wrap for this episode of the Big Bass Podcast. I'm Ken Duke. On behalf of Terry Battisti, my partner, and our producer, engineer, and director, my other partner, our other partner, Nathan Benson, I want to thank you for joining us. We sincerely, I mean it, Hope you enjoyed the program. If you did, please rate it, share it, review it. I hear that's important. Anything you can do to help us spread the word and grow our audience is much, much appreciated. We do this show because we love it. We love the sport. We love its history. But we also love your support and our audience support. Um, so uh, if you're watching it on YouTube, on our website, however you're watching it, um, rate it. Tell us what we can do better. Get in contact with us. Our email addresses are Ken at the big bass podcast.com Terry at the big bass podcast.com or Nathan at the big bass podcast.com.com. Um, and come on back next week. We're going to have another show for you next week. Uh, I can't tell you exactly what it's about next time because we're recording in a different order, maybe than sometimes we're showing them, but we will be back and it's going to be about a big bass that, uh, is going to contain a lot of information that you did not have before and that you cannot find anywhere else. So uh, we look forward to that one and uh, look forward to your joining us. Thanks a lot.